are listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everybody. Brother Ed turned uh, 706 today. Yeah, 706, my brother. Blessings upon you. It, uh, some of you guys don't know this. Pastor Ed was my youth pastor. And he's one of the reasons that I'm in church today. There was a lot of times that I could have gone many different ways. Uh, but how, how, let's see. I, I, I think this is good. I, I, how do I say this? Uh, so in my teenage years, I needed a certain kind of uh, hand in my life. Now, I had plenty of thou shalt and thou shalt not. But what I didn't have was someone who... Uh, showed me how you, like my mom and dad were so spiritual. I just, I, I just was at an age, age, I needed someone more carnal like Pastor Ed. <laughs> I needed someone who wasn't as, as powerful. You know, I would have given up if it was just me, you know. Um, so anyway, uh, we love Pastor Ed. Happy birthday to him. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads here. My dad is in California. Uh, I have already told him uh, that I appreciate him and love him publicly, and I will do it uh, hopefully later on today uh, directly. Uh, we're thankful for that, that, that good father in our life uh, that has been given to us by the presence of God, and we're thankful for our natural fathers uh, who cared for us and protected us. And can I have a big amen? amen? My title today is Truth in a Toolbox. And I'm going to explain this manly tool bag that I brought up here in just a moment. In fact, uh, I want to set it here in a, a, very, uh, a very centered and a predominant way because you have never seen a toolbox with as great a manliness factor as this toolbox right here. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Our theme scripture is Ecclesiastes 10 and 10. I, you guys know I... Love to read in a lot of different translations. Um, I, I think words matter more than their technical meaning. Words can convey emotion. And so when I read how different translators uh, told uh, or convey those words, I, it's something I, I love to share. And so you notice a lot of times I'll read a translation that may not be the exact one they have. I want you to know that's okay. It is actually an education in itself to read different translations, and after you have done that, uh, you will better understand the text than if you just say there's only one true anointed translation and Paul used it. No, Paul did not use any of the translations. He was too busy writing two-thirds of the New Testament. All right, Ecclesiastes 10 and 10, I'm reading NIV, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. This is a direct image, a teaching image of a tool shown in the Bible, and the tool shown here is an axe, and the point is made uh, that a dull axe is not very good to cut wood. I wonder how many, just real quick, how many of you have ever tried to cut wood with a dull axe? I have many uh, times, and those of you who haven't, trust me, uh, what basically happens is a lot of good cardiovascular exercise, which admittedly we all of us need, uh, but a dull axe is uh, more and more muscle required to drive it 
Um, if you need good cardio, you just could get a hammer and you could go hit a piece of wood with a hammer. Uh, it would take a long time for you to turn that wood into, how shall we say, uh, splinters, but you eventually could uh, do that. Now, with an axe, the goal is not to get cardio. The axe is to chop uh, the wood into, into pieces. And so that led me in this thought process, and so that led me to this theme, uh, truth in a toolbox. If the Bible uses tools as teaching images, maybe we could learn from it. That got me thinking about toolboxes. Now, you are wondering, because you are highly intelligent people of deep spiritual discernment, can I have an amen? Uh, you're wondering why I brought this tool bag up here. And it is the pinkest tool bag you have ever seen. This tool bag is so manly that when I brought it up here, all of you men's testosterone went up by 10% just by looking at this bag. Um, so why did I bring it? Well, I have toolboxes, but they're all dirty. They're all covered in grease. And if I bring them to church, I have grease on me. This is my wife's tool bag, and no work has actually ever been done with this. <laughs> this that's funny. I don't care what you say. Um, actually, my wife bought this so I wouldn't steal her tools. I sold all mine when I, when I uh, switched out companies and uh, got out of the construction trade. Um, I sold tools and trucks and equipment and you name it, uh, we sold it. Um, but I didn't want any more tools. I didn't want to do any more construction. You would have to work in the trade to understand what I'm saying when I say that. Um, uh, so I didn't have tools, so Charla would come home with a tool, and I would steal it for something I needed. So she decided if she bought this bag, I would never steal her tools. And I, I was like, have you been so long time with me that you know I'm not insecure in my masculinity at all? <laughs> I mean, at all. I mean, I don't even have a little bit uh, uh, whatsoever. And so uh, anyway, uh, if you go through any tool bag, you will discover a few things. And you can think of the obvious, like the cutest little uh, pink hammer you ever saw in your life. If you actually use this somewhere, a unicorn cries. Uh, so, cutest little thing. And also, uh, a glue gun. Who, you, who has a glue gun in their tool bag? I'll tell you who. People who don't actually do any work, they do crafts. That's all a glue gun is good for. Although you could, you know, you'd have fun with it and play with your kids, which I love to play with my kids. And also, no serious worker has uh, kitchen scissors in their bag. That's a huge disappointment. You know how much car cardboard you can cut with these? Oh, about 10 linear feet. <laughs> um, what you have is like real shears or you have utility blades, but enough about that. Um, almost every tool that is in a tool bag, not all of them I'll explain, but almost every tool does one of two things. It either is a tool of connection, or it is a tool of disconnection. Every project you do has things that need to go together and things that are, they need to come apart. Why do they need to come apart? Well, some piece of them is broken. Some part of them needs to be replaced. It needs to come apart. Why? So some piece of it can be replaced. Uh, if you are working, you will over and over and over, almost everything you do will be some version of putting right or working things together or taking wrong, not working things 
apart. So uh, this little uh, unicorn hammer that I had here, it is a tool for both connection, that's this side of it, and disconnection, that's this side of it. You use this side, you drive a nail in, it puts things that go together, what? Together. You make a mistake because you didn't read the instructions like the pastor, or um, you read the uh, instructions like the pastor's wife, but still made a mistake. Mm-mm-mm. I had something in my throat. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, this would take it apart. Do you see? Almost every action, not all, but almost every action is some version of putting working correct things together or taking broken, not working things apart. You grab needle nose pliers, you're trying to put it together. Well, that would be take it apart. If you are trying to take it, uh, put it together, Righty tighty, lefty loosey. Uh, so anyway, that's all I've got for you today. This is more uh, unicorn uh, needle nose, and if you use them, an angel cries. And uh, pliers. What are we doing with pliers? We're putting it together, or we're taking it apart. Things that go together, go together. Things that don't go together are taken apart. This is a spiritual application in studying the Bible to rightly divide the Word of God. What do we do? We take things that are supposed to go together with things that go together and things that aren't supposed to gather. We uh, separate them for why? For understanding. There are tools that are not about connection and disconnection. This is the cutest uh, purple uh, ruler you've ever seen in your life. It is great. Um, for chasing uh, little girls around the house like you're going to spank them with it. Um, it's great fun. You should try it sometime. Uh, that's how I met my wife. Um, anyway, that was funny. I don't care what y'all say. Uh, here's tools about, uh, this is a level. It's not about disconnection or connection. It is about right connection. You get the idea. A tool is almost always some version of right things together or taking wrong things apart. Blades, it's too much, you're taking some of it off. Saws, it doesn't fit, it's too much, it's the wrong angle, you're trimming, you're adjusting, you are taking it off. I should have brought a great big chainsaw up here uh, so I could uh, terrify people like the chainsaw murderer, but I didn't. Uh, All of tools have some version of this truth. Now, What is the truth that's in the tool bag? Are you ready for this? This is going to be both simpler and more complicated than you think. What is the truth that is in the tool bag? Well, here it is. There are things in your life that you need to cut away. There are things in your life that you need to separate yourselves from. There are things in your life you need to learn to ignore. There are things in your life you need to de-emphasize because they're getting way too much attention. And if you had a spiritual tool, what you would be able to do is use that tool to find things that aren't helping. It may take a little elbow grease. It may take some work, some prayer, some fasting. But with effort and time, you could disconnect yourself from that which did not fulfill spiritual purpose. Can I have an amen from the church folk? There are things in your life you need to cut away from. They are not helping. In fact, they are one of the reasons why your spiritual purpose feels so impossible. There are things in your life that demotivate you. They are things you need to step back from. You need a spiritual tool that will de-emphasize it, that will help you, pardon the pun, get a grip on it 
and unconnected, disconnected from your life. And in the same manner, there are things in your life that you desperately need to connect to. They would make your purpose clearer. I'm preaching to somebody here today. They would give you strength in the middle of your journey. They would help you keep your eyes focused on Calvary. They would help you keep your grip on the horns of the altar. These are things that you need to be connected to. Someone needs to get a glue gun and connect you to it. Someone needs to hammer you to that cross. Uh, You get the image there. Someone needs to, in some way, connect you to that which gives you spiritual purpose, spiritual direction, that which motivates you, that which elevates you, that which spiritually fulfills you. There is truth in the toolbox. So if you go to the scripture, you see story after story where this lesson is taught. In fact, it is so universally true that you could take almost any Bible character and you could learn from that Bible character. We, we could pick Moses. Um, we could pick Noah. Uh, We could pick any of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You could, in other ways, pick um, kings that sought to lead the house of Israel toward uh, the purposes of God. You could could select prophets who had uh, the heavy responsibility of carrying God's word of rebuke and repentance, uh, correction and renewal to people who most often did not want to receive it. Um, One of the things we forget in ministry is that there's a lot of word given that is not wanted to be received. (laughs) You're not happy about everything the preacher says to you. Even when you agree with them and you're like, yeah, it's true, I needed that. There's some part of you is like, that just makes me mad. I could have stayed in bed. I got all dressed up, come to church, and you had to preach on that. Yes, I did. Uh, A lot of ministry is this combination of reproof with renewal, this combination of repentance with raise to new life. This combination of not me, but have spiritual identity, repentance and baptism. This combination is absolutely uh, fundamental. And so what we see in all of the lives of the patriarchs and the prophets, the kings and the apostles, you see this reality of things that aren't helping, do you see? Things that are hurting me, things that are damaging me. I need to turn away from that. On the other hand, I need to turn toward things that are going to make me strong. I need to turn toward things that are going to spiritually renew me. Now, let me be honest with you here today. How many of you can admit that this is true for you too? It's not just true for them. It's true for you too. Will you do that right now? Why don't you raise a hand and say, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Come on, say it one more time loud. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I must be connected to my spiritual purpose or I'm not exactly sure what these years have brought me. I must be challenged to become who God says I can be or I'm not really sure what all the tears have been about. I need to be committed to my high calling in Christ Jesus or I'm not sure exactly why I said yes ever to begin with. Do you see? Uh, So it is true with you too. You can live your version of your life 
That's what Adam and Eve chose in rebellion and sin. Or you can say, God, I am committed to your version of my life. It doesn't make me perfect, but it puts a star that leads me to Bethlehem on my horizon. And no matter where I find myself, there is within me a heart that says, don't just wander, follow that star. It doesn't make me perfect. It doesn't teach me to know all things, but what it does is put a star in my sky. And no matter where I find myself, I can wake up and say, I'm looking for this one who is going to wash my sins away. We have heard that a king is being born, and we want to worship. It's not about us. It's about him. And I am wanting to be a worshiper. Does anybody feel that way? So I want to be really, really honest about examples of things in your life that aren't helping you at all. Remember, there's a star in your sky, and it's leading you to who you can be in Christ Jesus. And can the church say amen? There is a star in your heaven, and it is guiding you every day. More, his spirit has been given that he might be so close to you that it was as though he stopped by your house and knocked on your door. It would feel like that. Your daily life, your daily devotion would feel like as though God himself stopped by your neighborhood and was knocking on your door and you thought to yourself, oh, I have company. And then you wondered about whether or not the The living room was clean uh, enough because it doesn't matter if it's clean. It just matters that people think it's clean. Uh, That's all that really matters, right? So you fake it for the neighbors. Don't act like you don't. We, 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 We see you on social media. You ain't that pretty. You doctored those pictures. (laughs) <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to make you laugh, and, I, and sometimes I succeed, but I, I always try. So uh, don't take me too serious when I'm trying to make you laugh, okay? You know what I mean. You, okay, it's as though the presence of God is so close that it is as though a neighbor were stopping by and asking if you had a moment to visit. And you said, sure, come on in. Good to see you today. And you sat down together, and you said, hey, you want some coffee? You want some tea? Uh, I've got some left over uh, food. I was baking myself a sandwich. Would you like one too? And your friend said, actually, I would. I'd, I'd love to sit here and break bread, as it were, with you. That is the goal of the presence of God in your life. If you're not living that way, if you have successfully separated your life into secular and spiritual, I'm telling you, you're missing it. You are missing what you are called to know, to be, and experience. Your life should not be separated where you do church on Sunday, and on Monday through Wednesday you do work, and on Friday night you're like, hey, no, that is not this separation plan in your life. It should feel like it is all running together. You should take worship to your workplace. Can I have a big amen? On Friday night, you ought to do something that is fun but doesn't break the spiritual part of yourself. You need to have fun. You need to have friends. You need to do fun things. But it shouldn't be where your soul is crushed so your flesh can have a break. Oh, I'm preaching some stuff today. You go ahead. Take your time. Take your time. Just take your time. Take your time. 
Thank you. I will. I will. I will. Four things in David's life he has to cut away from, okay? He has to get some tool, some spiritual tool, and he has to say, no, that's not helping me. I refuse it. I will not focus on that. I will not let that define me. At least four things. Let me give them to you because I want to show you it wasn't easy for this man of God. And he wasn't perfect, but he had to daily, weekly, monthly, on a regular basis, he had to reorient himself on the things he's supposed to be connected to and clear the decks of the things he, is not, he knows is not helping at all. Let me give you some examples in his life. Number one, uh, we forget this, but David's own dad held him back. Now, I know it's Father's Day, and we try to pretend like fathers are perfect, uh, wait, no, that's on Mother's Day where we pretend like mothers are perfect. On Father's Day, you call your dad, you're like, hey, I'm good. Are you good? He's like, I'm good. You're like, good. See you next year. <laughs> um, I saw one church this morning, um, and they were having a competition. They had dads come up, and we're going to do this next year so y'all men can start practicing. Dads brought up daughters, and they set their da- little daughters on stools, and then they had a competition who could braid a ponytail the fastest between dads. I want you to know I would totally lose that, but moving along, um, it was a fun thing, and the, the, the little girls were like, I want mommy. <laughs> I'm like, you need mommy. <laughs> um, David's own dad held him back. Uh, this is 1 Samuel 17, uh, verse 10 and 11. You, you see the story. The prophets come uh, to the house of Jesse. This is David's father. And uh, Jesse doesn't think David would be anointed. And he keeps David out with the sheep. And all of these sons of Jesse come, uh, as it were, before the prophet. And the Lord whispers to the prophet, uh, no, 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 no. And then finally, in verse number 10, uh, Samuel speaks, the prophet speaks to Jesse the father and says, the Lord has not chosen any of them, any of these, are, are, are these all there are? And uh, here you have, and this is the Living Bible, I love this translation, um, there's, I, I also love the message, it uh, makes you see it with a uh, different perspective. Um, Jesse replies, well, there is the youngest, <laughs> but he's out in the fields watching the sheep. His own dad thought that, you know, this wouldn't apply, apply to him. Um, if you grew up in a situation where your family did not see your potential, I want to say this to you. First of all, most families don't see uh, potential, so don't let that stop you. God will place within you a sense of your own spiritual destiny, and God will place within you that lonely, yes, I use that word intentionally, that lonely call that only you can hear. And if you let your family set the parameters of your life, you are only ever going to become the vision your family had for you. I want to tell you this, God's investment in you is actually bigger than your family's investment in you. And God can see your potential even when your family does it. If you grew up in a family where they were negative about you and they kind of low-rated you, don't, don't carry that grudge. Forgive them with a smile. They were never able to see what God had put inside of you. Let me say that again to this side of the church. They were never able to see what God had put inside of you. But as long as you would cut away from their opinion and focus on God, you can do great things in your spiritual purpose and destiny. Amen. The second time David is held back is in uh, verses 12 through 15. 
his oldest brother and are chosen as soldiers and he's chosen as a runner. Uh, no one sees his combat value, and so they just say he can run back and forth from attending to Saul to taking care of his father's sheep. The Bible explains that in verses 12 through 15. Everyone, as it were, uh, held him back. Uh, no one saw his potential. The second thing that David has to cut away from, and this is, this is astonishing when you think about, every example in David's life was an example of fear. Let me read to you uh, chapter 17, 1 Samuel, of course, verses 8 uh, through 11. Uh, Goliath every day would stand in front of the, the ranks of Israel's army, and uh, he would say, choose a man for me to fight. It'll be single combat, me against your choice. Whoever wins, uh, we'll let them be a stand-in for the whole army. Uh, he wins, we'll serve you. If I win, you all serve us. And he taunted them, the Bible says, day after day. Goliath taunted them saying, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, everyone, somebody say everyone. Everyone was deeply shaken and paralyzed with fear. Everyone was deeply shaken and paralyzed with fear. Let me say it this way. Everyone in David's life gave him an example of fear. Verse 16, for this continued for 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the giant berated the Israelite army. Finally, verses 23 and 24, David talked with his brethren on the front line. He saw Goliath start shouting his usual threats to Israel's army. When the army heard Goliath, the Bible says they all ran in fear. Not some of them, they all ran in fear. Every person in David's life was a bad example. I, I want to remind you of this. There's going to be plenty of bad examples in your life. You have to disconnect yourself from that spiritual influence. I'm not saying you cut off friendships. You don't need to go that far. That's, that's just, that's there may be a rare situation where that's needed, but that's not something we should, we should choose uh, quickly. That, that's, we should be stronger than that. But you have to see that just because you came from a family, shall we say, that has an inheritance of bad decisions, or even more, you come from a family that seems to have a type of generational curse, as it were, where they have a personality and psychological predisposition toward errors, toward, toward bad cultural decisions, toward uh, bad addictions and the like. Even if you come from that, I want to say to you today in the name of Jesus, it can end with you. This church is full of people where the curse ended with them, and their children don't even know that they came from a family with that problem because they, like David, stood before the generational giant and said, I come to you not with swords and spears, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And the generational giant ends in their life. Why? Because they said it's going to stop right here. 
Get a spiritual tool. Get a shear of some type. Get a spiritual tool. Here's a good shear. It's so cute, I don't know what to do with it. Maybe chase a unicorn and threaten to cut its tail off or something. But I want to say, you get you, you cut that away in your life. You say, that is not what I am trying to do or be. I need less of that and more of something that is of God. Everyone in his life was an example of fear. He had to isolate that. No, that is not who I am in God. Third, the very people who should have supported him uh, were intimidated by him and questioned his motives. I want to read verses 26 through 29 uh, in one of these real-life translations. So here we go. David asked, what's the reward for killing this Philistine and ending this disgraceful abuse? When David's older brother heard this, he burned with anger at David and said, why are you even here anyway? Why aren't you taking care of your scrawny little flock of sheep? I love that. You cocky little brat, that'll make you laugh. You thought the Bible was boring and that'll make you laugh. I know how conceited you are. What have I done, said David? Can I even ask a question? The moment he opened his mouth, they had already decided he had a bad motive. This is an example of a dysfunctional family. And when you come to faith in a dysfunctional family, you tend to have lots and lots of bad spiritual habits. Because rather than soaring, you are surviving. I have so many of you I've talked to about this very subject where your introduction of faith was really a type of, uh, how shall we say this, it was a type of survival rather than a type of spiritual elevation or pursuit or reaching. Uh, It didn't feel like that. It felt like, you know, uh, survival, trying to make it another day through the crab bucket. I, I want to say this, not all churches feel like crab buckets, and uh, we certainly don't want this church to feel like a crab bucket. We're far from perfect, perfect, but I'll tell you this, you won't feel like a crab bucket uh, most of the time. Occasionally, you might be hanging out with people, and they need Jesus, because we have lots of people at First Church who need Jesus. Can I have a big amen from people who need Jesus? But for the most part, it's not that kind of a community. But when you're in a community where everything you do is automatically impugned, that's a word that just means people think you have a bad motive. Uh, You come from a bad place. I'm telling you, this is dysfunction. What does David have to do with this? Well, if he's like us, he uh, pouts and leaves and goes home and says, I'll just stay away from you. Uh, No, uh, that's not what he does. But if he's like us, what he does is he says, I'm never speaking to them again. Uh, No, that's not really what he does. Um, I understand the emotion. I have it a lot. Um, uh, That's not really what he does. Uh, He simply cuts it clear in his life. And and it's as though he says, not that, not that. That's not what my focus is. You see, let me remind you that David has been isolated in his duty. He has been isolated in the care of the sheep, and he's learned how to be a worshiper all by himself. 
I have a word for the Lord for some of you guys. If you don't learn how to be a worshiper all by yourself, you're going to have a lot of lonely nights and a lot of painful days in your journey. But you need to learn how to pick a song and lift your voice as though you were auditioning for the first church production team. And you said in your spirit, I'm going to show Pastor Nathan he ain't all that. I'm about to break it down. And you lifted that voice and you started singing as loud as you can. You need to learn how to be a worshiper all by yourself. Amen. And again, I say amen. The toolbox is full of things, full of tools to separate things that work from things that don't work, to cut away things that aren't helping, to shear away things that aren't to the purpose of the design. It is full of the ability to say less of that, more of this in your spiritual toolbox. It is full of things that enable you to say, not that, I need more of Jesus, not more of who said what to who about what happened, but more of what God said through promise and prophecy, less of what they think and more of what Jesus said. Our spiritual toolboxes are full of that ability to say, not this world, but more of the presence of God. Finally, I'm almost done. The fourth thing that David has to clear away in his life is that his leaders doubted his ability. Uh, now, uh, this can happen, and I want to say to you that uh, uh, leaders oftentimes doubt ability uh, not because they know, uh, but because they don't know. And their doubt is not a doubt of keeping you down. It's a doubt of not perceiving your ability. You cannot expect everyone to appreciate your gift when they can't even see it. And so if you only are willing to offer your gift when it is appreciated, you will not have a very generous spirit. People cannot perceive what your creative gift is able to accomplish. You you have to cut away the negativity. You need it because it will help you focus. Did you hear what I said? Uh, if you only will work for God, if everyone is celebrating you, I have bad news for you. You're not going to work for God. If you only will give of yourself and your heart and your abilities, if there is a choir gathered around saying, Almighty oh, art thou beautiful one, you aren't going to give of your abilities and unique gifts and creative investment that God has made in you, you're not going to do anything. You need to have a different opinion. It needs to be more like this. I know what I'm proposing seems small, but I think I can take it somewhere. Why? You are the recipient of God's great gift, and he has an investment in you. Don't be afraid of small things. How are you going to learn if you don't start somewhere? How are you going to develop? We are kicking off off relaunching small groups uh, post-COVID. I, I want to take a moment right here and talk about small groups at the risk of taking too much of your time because I want to say this to you. Your spiritual purpose for being here is not self-perfection. That is a pharisaical lie that freezes you from spiritual influence in your community. It's not self-perfection. If you followed every rule you, your mama, and your grandmother designed for you, you still wouldn't be good enough to make it into heaven. Self-perfection is not your job. There was only one perfect life lived. What you need is not self-perfection, but 
Christian covering. You need the blood of covenant applied to you. Now your good works are worship to the one who was holy. Now your good works are testimony to the world you are placed of the one who was holy. Do you see? Uh, The apostolic church has been frozen into social, neighborhood, cultural indifference because in many types we fell and we fell into this habit of thinking my primary job was being good enough for God. As a result, you don't make friends. As a result, you don't invite people over. As a result, you don't interact with your neighbors. Bad influencers all. As a result, you don't love people. Why? You're too busy perfecting self and protecting kids. You say you love the lost, but who's the last neighbor you've invited to come to your house? Now, if you're an introvert like me, that hits you hard. Because you think, I don't know. There's a reason why the cross is the image of purpose for the one who would follow Jesus Christ. The cross is my life for yours, my ability for you, my help for you, my affection for you, my gifts, my time for you. You cannot do that if your view of Christianity is self-perfection. That is a law-based approach to God. I'm not going to go much more on this, but I want you to feel my heart. If that was the way, then Christ died in vain. If you want to make Calvary of no effect, live your life as though you can perfect yourself. And then there's no reason for Jesus to die. And when they say you made his life as no effect, that's what, he, that, that's what they're talking about. Christ died in vain because you were sure you could, conf- you could perfect you. All you had to do was follow all the rules. And that was your cross. No, that is self-centered, selfish Christianity. It's the error of Lucifer. Don't look at God. Look at me. I will ascend to the heaven. I will. I want you to see selfishness is what destroys true Christianity. Selfishness is what destroys true Christianity. Oh, but it's a little sin that, le- that leavens the lump. Yes, yes, and yes. And let me tell you about that little sin. For every one you know you committed, there's two or three you didn't. And you need a covering in your life. You need the blood of Jesus. So when judgment comes, uh, they look at your doorpost and they see the innocence of the lamb. What then is our Christian calling? You love your world as a way of loving God. You acknowledge your love for God by opening your heart to others. Is it risky? Yes. Sometimes it'll feel like it's going to kill you. It's going to feel like a cross on your back. You take chances. You pray for people when all their friends have turned away. You walk with people when they have no other source. You invite them to your house. You love them as a way of telling God, I love you. You say, well, I don't really like people. I know. It's obvious. But I love Jesus. Why? Because he's an ideal and I can just project my personality onto him. Let me tell you, read John, the last apostolic writer, summing it all up, saying don't talk about how much you love God if you won't love your brother. The person who says they love God who they haven't seen, he's talking about ideals, and you won't love your brother as a way of loving your God, then you are deceiving yourself and you don't know God. 
So let me make an appeal to all the people like me. Let me make an appeal to all you introverts. I'm not asking you to open your heart to your neighborhood so the church can grow. Let me tell you a secret. Most of the people, the vast majority of the people you love aren't going to join our church. You still should love them because you're not testifying of the church. You're testifying of the love of God. That changed your heart. I don't want, I, I don't, let, let me be honest with you. I, 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 as far as my workload, I'm, I'm, I'm really content about where, you know, the influence I have and the speaking opportunities I have. I don't need a church of 5,000 to feel like I have some purpose in my life. It's a lot of work. Let me tell you a pastoral secret. People, and Brother Nugent taught me this. He's, he always taught in pastor meetings. He'd say, uh, people say they want to grow, but they won't put up with anything. Your growth is direct, directly related to your ability to put up with stuff. The first something that happens in your church, you dive into it and you knock everybody out. You can't put up with anybody. And you say, oh, I want to grow. No, you can't put up with anything. You want to stay the same size you are. The same thing is true. I'm not trying to have First Church be the biggest church in our city. I'm not asking you to love your neighbors and show the, so the church will grow. It may or it may not grow. That's a God thing. I don't know how to grow a church. But let me tell you how we, what I do think. I think the only path to carry a cross that Jesus showed for you is for you to open your heart to the world in which God has placed you and to love people in their brokenness and to love them in their pain and to invite them in their re real world and to grieve when they don't change as fast as you wanted to and to love them anyway. Love broken people. Love lonely people. Love hurting people. Perfect people are easy to love. And they're not perfect. They just fake it well. There's no perfect kids in, our, son, in our, our, our first kids, Sunday school. There's no perfect young people in uh, bold. Uh, the only perfection in this church is in the pastoral staff. <laughs> and that's Sister Lisa. That's, the, that's as far as it goes. Where are you at, Sister Lisa? She's not in here. Scratch that. She's out in the parking lot on her phone texting pictures of herself going, Sounds just like her. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. I want y'all to love people because I think that's how we as a church manifest Jesus Christ to our world. Nobody cares what we come together and believe. Nobody cares. It's zero influence. But when God decided to impact the world, he says, love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. That's the lesson of the New Testament church. Even when they kill them, they die singing. How can you hate people who won't hate you when you kill them? They won't even curse you when you kill them. They're worshipers even with flames around their feet. Love like that never fails. Show me the church that's doing that. I'll show you a church that's carrying a cross. And since I'm all, since I'm all fired up, and I'm going to blame I'm going to blame uh, Melix later for this anyway, because uh, that's how I do to maintain my self delusion of perfection. I, just let me say this: Never believe a preacher who tells you self perfection is your cross. That misses the whole point. Oh my God, where to start? You need to care about people. You need to open your heart to flawed, imperfect people. You need to love them as a way of saying, God, I love you. You know why I love crazy people? Because that's how I tell God I love him.
Now, if you don't see that in the New Testament, it's because either, number one, you've never read it. Number two, you are an unserious student. Uh, Let me just stop. I'm getting fired up. Lord, help this dear preacher as he's striving to help these dear people. And he, they're, anyway. All right, so uh, he has to cut away four things he had to cut away from. Uh, Disappointment from his own dad. Uh, Examples of fear. Uh, People questioning his motives. People doubting his ability. So how do we do that when these things are in our life? Well, first of all, we remind ourselves that these voices, these criticisms, uh, they're not God. They are not God. Do not let a voice speak with the authority of deity in your life. There should only be one voice in your life that has that kind of authority. Proverbs 21 and 25, this is from the message translation, which I'm going to read it in a couple translations. The fear of human opinion disables. Did you hear that? The fear of human opinion disables, but trusting in God protects you from that. Now, let me read it in the TV. It is dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. Let me read Isaiah 8 and 13, NLT. Do not fear anything except the Lord Almighty. He alone is the Holy One. If you fear Him, you need fear nothing else. What in your life is playing God and filling you with this sense of hopelessness and allowing you to make an excuse for yourself and allowing you to settle back and say, well, they didn't make place for me. I'm telling you, you need to cut that spirit away from you. You need to cut that attitude away from you. And you need to instead do what Nehemiah did, where he's called by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he goes back and he models for us a a, a truly beautiful focus. Chapter 6 of his book, he writes um, verses 3 and 4. So I replied by sending this message to them. Now, these are Sanballat, uh, Tobiah, and who's the other guy? Sanballat, Tobiah, and... Uh, Don doesn't read the Bible, so um, y'all, y'all. Uh, he, he sent back to them Sanballat and Tobiah. Uh, I'm cutting up, obviously. Don quotes scripture over here all the time, trying to take over the pulpit, but I, I fight back. I, I rebuke that spirit. Uh, he fights back. Here it is, verse number three and four. I replied by sending this message to them. I am doing a great work. If you don't think it's great, no one else will think it's great. If you don't think it matters, who you expect is going to think it matters? The devil? You hope he thinks it matters? If you don't tra- take it seriously, I'm all the time encouraging our team to, to do, to write, to become. I'm telling Nathan he should write songs. I'm telling Anthony he should write a book. And some of you others need to tell Anthony he needs to write a stinking book because he has good ideas. And face, Facebook, we all use it, but let's be honest, it's a dumpster fire. Um, he, 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 he needs to write a book. I'm all the time telling people they need to write, they need to become. But if you don't think your songs matter, you won't write them. You got to think they matter. You got to treat it like it matters. As though God said, Would you pray? Would you write worship that matters? If you don't, you'll just do it if you have time. But if you think it matters, you'll get up tomorrow and say, I need to write today. I can't let this day slip through my hand. I need to write. I need to write. Everyone on our teams, I've told some version of that. People bring ideas to me, and I, I think to myself, Could this be an idea that gets traction? Is it, it, could this be something that works? We try all kinds of stuff. You know why? Because it matters. We've got to. We've got to make a difference if we can. And it's not about being cool. It's not about doing something new. If you think that's what it is, I promise you, you're doing what David's older brother did. I will tell you right now, if wearing overalls would influence this generation, I would be wearing overalls right now. 
if having one of those great big uh, hipster beards would reach the loss, my beard would be a thing of beauty. That it all doesn't matter. What we're going for is spiritual effectiveness. Why? We have to decide it matters. Nehemiah says, I am involved in a great work. I cannot come down. Listen to this. I've got to quit. Musicians come so it'll encourage me and make me hurry up a little bit. So I'm depending on you to end this message. And if I don't end, it's your fault. So I want you to see four times they sent the same message. And each time Nehemiah says, I gave the same answer. What answer is that? I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Number one, don't get distracted. Do not get distracted. Stay attached to what you need to be attached to. It's the lesson in the toolbox. Stay attached to what you're supposed to be attached to. Uh, Secondly, I I want you to uh, not attack back. When voices in your life are uh, doubting you, challenging you, speaking against you, don't attack back. Let me read Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 12. This is TEV. It is foolish to speak scornfully of others. If you're smart, you will keep quiet. Now, some of you guys need to write that down, and you just say it to yourself every day uh, because it is some real-world wisdom. How about 1 Peter 2, verse number 23? When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So we're not going to get distracted from the work that God has called us to, from the destiny that God has placed within our hearts. We're not going to attack back against those who would try to turn us off of our path. And finally, number three is similar to number one, uh, but it is a positive instead of a negative, and that is I am going to choose to stay focused on God and stay focused on God's promises. This is something King David manifests for us in, in the story. First Samuel 30, uh, verse number 6, we see David. He's being threatened by his own men. Uh, Ziklag has been destroyed and their families have been taken in slavery. And uh, they say, David, it's your fault. You took us away to serve as hired hands in a Philistine army. And We get back and look what's happened to us. It's your fault. And they conspired to stone him. And the Bible says, David, he cleared his head of all that. He didn't run and hide. He didn't argue with them. You know what he did? The Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord. He found strength in the Lord. Later on, when he's going through other trials, hiding from enemies, running for his life, running for people outside of his household and people inside his household, he will say differently the same thing. Psalms 118 and 6. The Lord is for me. Would you say that with me right now? Say it loud and strong. The Lord is for me. Okay, you can't say that without it having consequences in your life, right? Here's the consequences in David's life. So I will not be afraid. Here is my statement of divine truth. The Lord is for me. What's the consequence in my lived life? I am not, I will not be afraid. Here is understanding. Now, understanding. After all, what can mere mortals do to me? And lastly, Psalms 119 and 11, David says, I've banked my promises. Excuse me, I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart. 
What I value most highly is the promises of God. So the lesson of the toolbox or the unicorn tool bag as we have here today. Here's the lesson. It's full of things that help you do this. There's things that should not be attached because they are broken. They don't work. They don't fulfill the purpose for which the thing is designed. And so you need a tool to get that junk out of there, to cut it off, to take it away, to disconnect it, to saw it, cut it, remove it, break it away. And having separated the thing that's not helping, the thing that's not blessing, the toolbox is full of things to help you connect yourself to what actually is making a difference, to what is spiritual destiny for you, what is the promises of God in your life. And if you will do this over and over and over, now if this isn't a Father's Day message, this is as good as I can do. If you won't use that spiritual tool bag to reconnect yourself to the promises and the power of God, you will always be distracted, you'll always be fearful, you'll always second guess yourself, and the way you know all that junk is in your life is when you feel that fear and you feel that doubt and you feel that discouragement there is something that you need to disconnect from and you need to get back in the promises of God and say if the Lord is for me then who can be against me stand with me all across the house Can I challenge you to work it in your life, what I'm preaching here today? Can I challenge you in your life to say, what do I need to connect to? Can I challenge you in your life to say, what do I need to disconnect from? Is somebody's opinion hurting me enough to stop my spiritual purpose? Is someone's criticism hurting me enough to stop my spiritual potential? Is somebody's negative comments, doubts? I want to make a confession to you. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I... I, I, I think it may be helpful. Um, and uh, ultimately, that's the best preaching in the world is if it actually helps somebody. And so um, I, I want to confess to you that I have lived most of my life highly, highly sensitive to what people say about me. And I confess to you that my effectiveness has often been much diminished because I was hurting too much about somebody's opinion. They, they didn't really know me. They didn't understand what I was trying to do. They did not know the lessons I had learned. And they certainly were not in the relationship I had with God. And their words, which I should have ignored, cut me and hurt me and damaged me. And my wife was there saying, you got to let that go. Because she's a Nugent. And Nugents will cut you and sleep all night long. They will bust a box full of caps into you and they will go to bed and they will sleep well. But the elms, we hyper-examine everything. What did they mean when they looked at me that way? I want to say full disclosure, it has not helped me to be hypersensitive to what people have said about me. I have learned that I need to do something else. I need to ask myself on a daily basis, Did I try as hard as I could to please my God? Did I examine the scripture as carefully as I could to understand his word? And did I deny myself and do my best? 
Those are things I need to connect to. But what somebody somewhere said sometime about something they thought they knew about some issue, no, unhelpful. They can put that where the sun doesn't shine so brightly. It does not help. I said not so brightly. I don't know where your minds are. Some of you sinners need Jesus. Pray with me right now, Lord God. There's a bunch of junk in every one of our lives that if we're not careful, it will limit us. It will stop us from what we should do next. It will always let us settle for, you know, we tried, we, we gave it a shot. But it will in some way keep us from destiny. And if we don't pursue that, then we might have a nice religion, but we're, we're, we're missing the relationship of your presence in our life. We're missing the knock of your, your hand on our heart, uh, seeking relationship, and your word speaking destiny over us, and your promise saying, I've placed you in that workplace because there's a work for you to do right there. I've placed you in that neighborhood because there's a hungry heart right here. Lord, help us to see, help us to perceive the, the ability within us stop being intimidated and stop think, think, thinking that our cross is about perfecting ourselves and start seeing others as our call our purpose others our life for them our cross as you carried father forgive them they know not what they do and paid our debts and forgave our sins and washed our iniquities away Oh, Lord Jesus, such a great love has been shown that it behooves every one of us to open our heart to our world and try to make whole a broken world we live in, to speak your world over the chaos and the void of this generation. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to open this altar right now. All of you who will, step out of your chair that you're in. Come down uh, to the front want to stay where you are that's fine but as many of you who will I'd like to invite you to come we're a altar culture church we believe good things happen in the altar so I want to uh, encourage you to do that we're going to believe right now as our worship team leads us in praise and worship we're going to believe that the presence of the Lord will meet us in this place and it won't just be something we hear but it'll be a work in our heart all right church right now in Jesus name if you have a need why don't you step out we want to speak the name of Jesus over you if you have a prayer request why don't you lift your voice right now and call somebody's name before the throne of God all across the house we're believing right now for the work of God to be done among us oh Lord Jesus we are believing together we are praying together that your work would be done we are praying for every heart every life we're praying that you would work among us oh God in Jesus name we pray thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte if this podcast has blessed you Please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.